We are genuinely a blessed people. God has provided for us guidance and direction, encouragement and hope. When we open our Bibles, many times we read those portions that relate to practical everyday living, reading the book of Proverbs, reading the book of James. There are times when we read laws and various rules that are given to us by God. If you think about the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus would be one of those books. If you come to the New Testament, you find the importance of Jesus and who he is, but Jesus constantly keeps looking back to that Old Testament and saying, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. John chapter 5 and verse 39. You find the New Testament apostles, like the apostle Paul, saying that these things were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages are come. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. As I think about our study of the book of Malachi, I want to focus for just a few moments on the fact that chapters 1 through 3 challenge the people of God for their failure to love and to serve God. There was a particular time in life in which they lived. They had come back from a Babylonian captivity. They came back to a city and to a land that had been destroyed. The houses were torn down. The walls of the city were burned. They got busy rebuilding their houses, rebuilding those walls. One essential aspect of their life was missing. Their dedication, their faithfulness, their love to God. And so Malachi was sent. Malachi was sent to say, you are losing your interest in God and in spiritual things. Your families are falling apart. Things are going to pieces in your life. And you are just caught up in the material possessions that this life has to offer. You might think that the scolding that God's people got in chapters 1 through 3 would make them depressed, would make them think... Well, God's unhappy with us. He doesn't love us anymore. But as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, as well as the writer of the book of Revelation, as many as I love, I reprove and chasten. But you see, I am so thankful for Malachi chapter 4 because Malachi 4 holds forth hope. And it says God loves you. And God wants you to be saved. Just like Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God says, I love you so much. I want you to know that even though I have promised there will be judgment, I still want you to know there's a future and there's a hope for you. Just like the book of Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 4. Because as long as you and I are alive, 
and have our mental faculties about us, we can change our future. Solomon said, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You see, that's the reason why I am where I am today is because there is, for each of us, as long as we have breath, a living hope. We can change. Yes, God scolds, but God holds forth hope. God had a plan for their future. Would they accept it? There was a challenge put before them. So this morning we're going to look at three things from Malachi chapter 4. The day, the deliverer, and the decision. So let's start our study beginning with verse 1, going with verse 3 and verse 5. For the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Going now to verse 3. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now jumping to verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You notice the recurring word, day. For them, it was clearly a future event. God was talking about a day that was going to be in their future. And I would suggest to you that since we're studying the book of Malachi, for us it is a day in our past or it is before us. The event was also described back in chapter 3. Last Sunday when we studied about when wealth or material possessions becomes your God, I skipped purposely verses 1 through 6 knowing that they go with chapter 4. And so I want you to turn back with me now to Malachi chapter 3. There's several great points within this section that's going to tie that day together. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near you 
for judgment. I will be as a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, let me for just a moment point out to you that this is having reference to the coming of Christ and of his forerunner, John the Baptist. One of the things that God does point out through Malachi is the fact that Jesus would be like two things. He's going to use two illustrations. He's going to be like a refiner's fire. I want you to visualize in your mind like a blacksmith. He builds a a real hot fire and he takes gold that's been dug out of the ground or silver that's been dug out of the ground and they put it in this container and they heat it real hot and the impurities, the unclean things, the dross, to use the biblical term, rises to the top and they're scraped off and what you have is pure silver or pure gold. And he said he will be like the launderer's soap. Think of the old way of washing clothes. Boiling the water and putting soap in it and stirring those clothes around in that boiling water. You see, Jesus is a cleaner. He's looking forward to the coming and the cleaning of God's people. That's the reason why he says, use it in judgment. But he says, before he does that, I'm going to send my messenger before my face. How do I know he's referring to himself and to John the Baptist? Well, all I have to do is turn to Matthew chapter 3. We could look at that whole section. I just want to briefly touch base with that so you can see the point I'm making. In those days came John the Baptist preaching repentance in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his his path straight. And he goes on to talk about how John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he goes on to talk about what John would do, the message that he would preach, the repentance that he would call for. He was trying to get people to change. But you know, it's so easy to focus on John the Baptist and not realize that the focus of the message in chapter 4 is not on the forerunner so much as it is upon Jesus and what he was going to do and the judgment he was going to bring in that day. For just a moment or two, I'd like to focus with you on Jesus and what he did. You began very early in the ministry of Christ in John chapter 2. We read in verses 13 through 17 now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured the money changers, 
poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables and those who said doves. And he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, they had taken in the first century and lost their focus on God. And Jesus, just like Malachi was doing, was trying to get people to say, return your focus to what is spiritual. Do you know what's happening in a lot of congregations of people who call themselves the churches of Christ today? There are people focused on everything but worshiping and praising God. Really appreciate the songs that were selected this morning with a focus upon Praise God, the one who deserves to be praised. All praise to Him. How would you feel this morning if in the middle of the sermon we stopped and ran an advertisement for a local business across the screen? Would that bother you? It bothered me. What if sometime during the middle of the service we said, okay, we want to pause a little bit to tell you about a business that is downtown that people are... Do you realize they had taken the worship of God and Jesus in the first part of his ministry confronted that? But see, it's not just there. I turn to Matthew 21 and right there before the Lord is going to be sacrificed himself before his crucifixion, Matthew 21, he goes into the temple again and he turns over their tables and he drives them from the temple. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'm only going to look at three verses. But you can look through your Bibles and you can see a whole chapter where Jesus was not very pleasant. Now he loved the people and he loved them enough to tell them the truth. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. The Lord over and over and over again rebukes these people. He's trying to get them to realize You're not serving me. You're serving yourselves. In Luke 11 and verse 45, I always, whenever I read this verse, it just makes me realize the Lord didn't play favorites. The lawyers, one answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. And I imagine if the Lord had been in our age using our language today he probably would have said if the shoe fits wear it if what I am saying condemns them and you're doing the same thing 
You see, sometimes people portray Jesus as only the kind, loving Savior who could stoop down to a child and take them into his arms. Sometimes Jesus is portrayed only as being kind and loving as he was to the woman at the well. But let me tell you, Jesus had both a side that was kind and generous, and he had a side that rebuked sin in the lives of people. You see, for them, the day of the Lord was an impending judgment of God. You can look at you can see it in the book of Joel. You can see it here in the book of Malachi. But now let's apply this. They were looking forward to the first coming of Christ. We are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Second Peter 3 and verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. But now, what's really the focus of my lesson, which is really the part that I wanted to key upon, is verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Notice it's not S-O-N, but S-U-N. Play on words, if you will, for us. The Son of Righteousness refers to Christ. And whenever you find the idea of the sun rising, that indicates there's a new day, a new dawn, new opportunities. You may have gone to bed that night, with sorrow and sadness on your heart. But you see, the dawn came, the sun arose, and it's a new day. There's a new opportunity, a new change. Listen to the way the Bible puts it. Psalms 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Do you see the picture that David has given the dawn has come. It's a new day. Second Peter 1 and verse 19 says, So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. If I were doing this translation, I would put morning star in capital letters. In fact, you know, we just sang about that just a few moments ago. The song before the Lord's Supper. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. 1 John 2 and verse 8 says, A new commandment I write to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Or Revelation 22 and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. 
I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The morning star is the sun. And Malachi is saying there is rising the sun of righteousness. And he says he will have healing in his wings. It's almost like you're focusing and that sunrise is coming up. And then all of a sudden you see a bird. As that bird comes with its wings, he's bringing healing with him. Isaiah 53 verse 5, the last part of that says, And by his stripes we are healed. Or if you go to Hosea 6 and verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. That's the thought from Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. God is willing to heal his people. He's saying, look to the future. Look to the Son of Righteousness. When he gets here, there will be healing in his wings. But you see, there's really a challenge. And that is the same sun that brings light and illuminates things and warms this earth and provides a sustenance for things to grow also can be a source of distress. It can bring about drought. It all depends upon your perspective. In John 3 verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Or I go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. It says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then verse 13, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. The wicked don't like the light. They don't like the sun rising. So that's why thieves steal in the dark. But now very quickly, the decision. You see, God held out before the people. You've got a choice. Either you can enjoy the blessings of this coming of the Son of Righteousness, or you can be burned by Him to the point where He will consume both the root and the very source of who you are. You see, verses 4 through 6 read, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike this earth with a curse." He tells them to call to remembrance. Remember, the law of Moses. The reason why he says that to them is because that was a law they lived under. Today, what I will say is, remember the law of Christ. Remember the law that you live under. And he says, with its statutes and judgments. The New English translation calls statutes and judgments rules and regulations. 
Now, there are a lot of people today who don't like the idea of rules and regulations. They say, oh, we live under grace. We don't live under rules and regulations. Rules and regulations are meant for legalists. No, rules and regulations are meant to be obeyed. They're commands. He contrasts those who do wickedly in verse 1 with those who fear my name. That's, that's really the difference. But Elijah was a great prophet who turned the hearts of God's people at a real critical time. You know, you think back about the original Elijah who prophesied during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. You know, it was a time in which the world really was pluralistic. You had even the kings of Israel saying, well, let's, let's worship Baal. Let's worship Molech. Let's worship this God. And what had happened, Jezebel, when she arrived, she brought all of the worship from the Sidonians there with her. And Ahab said, well, we'll just we'll take care of all these guys. And Elijah challenged them on the top of Mount Carmel. He says, if the... God is God, serve him, but if Baal, then serve him. You see, he was a person put before them. You've got to make a decision. In fact, the way he put it in the original King James, how halt you so long between two opinions? Or the American Standard says, how long do you go limping between two opinions? When are you going to make up your mind? When are you going to make your decision? When... The second Elijah, John the Baptist, arrived. What did he do? Let's listen to Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Jesus identified him as that Elijah about whom Malachi wrote. Luke 1 and verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make a ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist came to try to turn people's hearts around, just like Elijah did. He called on them to make a decision. If we are honest to God's Word today, we're not going to piddle around. We're going to call for a decision on the hearts of the people. The coming of Jesus was like the rising of the sun, the dawning of a new day. I want you to see for them, God had, had rebuked them, He had scolded them, but then He says, but now there is coming the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. Would they receive Him or reject Him? That's what you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Jesus coming preaching his message, and the people either accepting him or rejecting him. 
Now here's the application for us. There remains a same choice. I can either accept Jesus and be a servant of His, follow His lead, do what He says do, or I can choose to reject Him. But when Jesus comes again, my fate will be set. Either I will be one who sees Him with joy, or I will be one who sees him with horror, knowing that my destiny has already been determined. I would not be fair with you, nor would I be honest with you, if I did not tell you how critical of a moment this is for you, for me. I can choose whether or not I want to be a Christian because I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Repenting as John taught and as Jesus taught from all those sins that I have committed. Confessing that faith in Christ and being baptized. Galatians 3.26 says, For we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You can be baptized into Him this morning for the remission of your sins. But you know, just like the book of Malachi, He's constantly calling them back, remember the law of Moses, remember the law of Moses, live by it, all those rules, all those regulations. The majority of this audience here are already Christians. Are you living according to the rules and the regulations that God has set forth in His Word? If you're not, you're not walking with Him. And just like the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap, there's going to be a time of purging. If you're not a Christian or you're not a faithful Christian, you need to respond, but it's your choice. Would you come while we stand and sing?